just look inside. Find yourself, you'll find everything that you need within. The Bible says the opposite is true. It says do not look inside yourself, but look to Christ. Because He is the one who saves. He is the one who can cleanse. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 18 be our text today. Matthew chapter 21 and beginning in verse 18. As we continue what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, last week we looked at Jesus in the temple. He had been there at the beginning of his ministry, and now he comes towards the end of his earthly ministry. He encounters it again. The same thing has occurred before. He sees that his house of prayer has been made a den of thieves, and so he goes in the first time with a whip, and the second time he overthrows the tables. And now, on his way into Jerusalem, what Matthew Matthew portrays as one scene, Mark actually portrays as two scenes, and he comes in, and as he's going in, he sees a fig tree, and this is what happens in Matthew 21, and beginning in verse 18. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I can't read this passage and go through this passage and talk about fig trees without thinking about fig newtons every time I read this thing. And I don't know if there's a connection there at all, but in any case, in Jesus' day, the fig tree had, had a sweetness to it. It was something that, that stood by the side of the road where you travelers by could go and, and get a piece of it. Last night, I was at home for a few minutes at our house in, in Bowling Green, and uh, we have a mulberry tree in the backyard that has grown mulberries for years. It's a huge tree. Well, over the last decade or so, it's been slowly dying so that it, now it bears no fruit. And it's to the point, because it's dying, we're getting ready to have to tear it down. We had some apple trees grow along the, the backyard as well, about six or seven of them. They were those green kind of Granny Smith apples. And I used to love being on the, the riding lawnmower and pass right underneath those branches and grab an apple off of those things without washing it, of course, which is a dangerous thing to do. You eat about 10 of those, it'll make your stomach sick. But I'd love to get them before they were ripe, as sour as they could be. Those were some good things until you ate way too many of them. But they were there. They were on the side of the road. It was something that people could come and grab. And in fact, in, in ancient Israel, you were actually able to go along the side of the road. If you had extra, they were supposed to throw down grain and wheat and other things. And people were allowed to actually come and pick off of your tree. And so as Jesus is going into Jerusalem from Bethany, you remember Jerusalem is super crowded. Everybody's there. It's about a mile and a half walk into Bethany. And as he's going along the way, he's hungry. Now this is unique because Jesus is staying at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus because it's too crowded in Jerusalem. What is the one thing we know about that family when it comes to Martha? If something needs to be done, Martha will get it done. Sometimes to the point where she is so busy with her work that she neglects her worship. So let me ask you, if Jesus were to get up around, say, 5 a.m. and start heading into Jerusalem, who do you think would be up at 4.30 making sure he had breakfast? If anybody, it would be Martha. 
And so it seems kind of an odd occurrence here that it says when Jesus got up that morning, he was hungry. There is a deliberateness here. There is an intentionality that he skips the breakfast that Martha offers or that Martha does not prepare, oddly. And as he's going into the city, he looks and he sees that same fig tree or a similar fig tree that he must have seen probably three years ago when he first went in. And Jesus looks at that fig tree and because it has leaves on it, it looks like it has something on it. And he goes closer and upon closer inspection, he finds out there is actually no fruit on the tree. And so Jesus curses the tree and it dies. The very next day when the disciples go back, they see that tree that Jesus has cursed, and it has completely withered away. And so when Jesus goes in to cleanse the temple, he is condemning Israel and judging them for their worship. But when he goes and condemns the fig tree, he is condemning Israel and judging them for their works or their lack thereof. This isn't the first time the Bible talks about fig trees. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 13, 6 through 9, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to them, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well." But if not, after that, you can cut it down. He says in Hosea 9, 8, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its season. The Bible uses a lot of metaphor, a lot of imagery, especially when it comes to fruit. It talks about vineyards and branches. Jesus will say in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. It is my Father's will that you bear much fruit because the Father, He is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Every branch that does not bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Every branch that does bear. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Then he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. We see figs in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve realize they've walked with God, they've violated His covenant, and in their sin they uncover that they are naked before the Lord, and what do they use to cover themselves up? Use fig leaves. And God sees them, and He says, that's not nearly enough. So He takes a lamb, sacrifices it and gives them clothing, signifying that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That it's not enough just to have the tree. It's not enough just to have the leaves. Instead, it goes far beyond the tree. It goes far beyond the leaves where something has to come outside in order to transform the inside. The world will tell you And if you want to fix what's going on, if you've got a dead tree that needs to grow fruit, what you've got to do is you've got to look inside yourself. Just look inside. Find yourself. You'll find everything that you need within. The Bible says the opposite is true. It says do not look inside yourself, but look to Christ. Because He is the one who saves. 
He is the one who can cleanse. And if your life is not connected to the vine of Christ, you also will not bear fruit. And the Bible says that if you don't bear fruit and you're not connected to Christ and you're not a part of the vine, you too will be hewn down. The world says don't talk about judgment all the time. And sadly, we say it in the church, don't judge. But here Jesus is judging. He said, I came not simply to bring peace, but a sword. And he is dividing here wheat from the chaff, those who bear fruit, those who do not bear fruit, sheep from goats, doves from wolves. The Bible will say that we are not saved because of our works, but to good works, that the fruit of the righteous, that when God changes your life, there will be something on the inside that you can't help but show on the outside. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So we think about the fruit of the Spirit. What are they? Love, joy, gentleness, goodness, and meekness, and temperance, and self-control. And a lot of times we as believers will think these are things that we are to attain. These are standards that we are to look up to. But the Bible says rather than that being a working in our lives, that is actually an outworking of God's Spirit in our lives. And so when we begin to follow the Lord, that means we will be more loving. Even with people who disagree with us and people we wouldn't ordinarily love, we will be more patient, especially with one another. We will be gentle. We will be people who are filled with faith. We will be people who exercise self-control. Jesus is telling us that this is what life in Christ looks like. But what happens when there's no evidence of fruit in your life? Bible plainly says that we are a first fruits offering unto God. Jesus will say in Matthew 5, if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? He's saying that to a generation that understood it's, it's kind of this opposite of, of meaning. When Jesus says salt loses its savor, they would have said, how can salt lose its savor? It's salt. Of course it's salty. And here Jesus will say, if you are attached to the vine... If you claim to be a part of the branch of Israel and later the branch of Christ, how can you not bear fruit? How can you not show good works? We know we're not saved because of good works, but if Christ is in us, we will demonstrate good works. And if there's no effort on your part, if there's no desire to bear fruits in keeping with repentance, we have to wonder whether we are truly connected to the vine of Christ. We've been going through our membership role the last few months. Dana Hall has really been helping us with that, calling different people who are all on our active and inactive lists, seeing where they are. I'm telling you, some of these folks, we've been enlisted the CIA, the NSA, and the FBI to find out where they are, because, you know, information gets, gets outdated, and we're trying to find out where people have moved and different things. But here's some of the responses we'll get. One in particular, I won't share the name to keep it anonymous, but one person who had been off of the role for a number of years, her grandson, her son, I think it was, who had been off of it for a number of years, was not active in church life. We asked, we said, well, they weren't interested in coming back. We said, well, are you interested then in, in removing your name from the church role if you don't want to be a part of what God is doing here? And the response was this, well, I'm sure he wants to be on some role. 
as if being on a church roll is the entrance into the Lamb's Book of Life, as if you are a member of a church gets you into membership in God's kingdom, as if because you're a tree and you look like you're doing something and you got some leaves, as if that makes you a part of Christ's vine. He says, be very careful in this moment that you too don't become a a part of that. The Bible says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. But Israel had not borne fruits. They had forgotten Hosea 9.10, which says, like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. Jesus had come unto his own, and his own had received him not. And we have to understand that in the kingdom of God, if there is no fruit, there is no root. That the fruit will always be revealed by the root. And if you try to play the game of Christianity, if you try to live a life of faith, apart from the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith, your tree will too be dead. And it will also one day wither away. So Jesus curses the fig tree representing Israel and it withers and dies. And then he'll say later on in this chapter in verse 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. But the Bible over and over explicitly says, by their fruits you shall know them. And if there's no evidence of God working in your life, if there's no desire to grow in a relationship with Christ, if there's no obligation to be a part of God's church, then there may not be any connection to the vine. There may not be any fruit in the first place. This is a spiritual checkup, a spiritual heart check for those who hear. And if I'm the disciples, I'm going to ask, why is it that that tree dies? Why is it that it withers? And Jesus to give an in-depth explanation of everything that he said about fruit and the vine and the depths. But that isn't the question that the disciples ask. They don't ask, why did it die? They, they They ask the more elementary question. They say, hey, how'd you do that? Can we do that? And I expect Jesus to rebuke them to say, did you not understand what I was just saying here? I just traced the history of Israel. I have condemned the temple for false worship. And now I have condemned the fig tree for false works. Israel should have seen it. You men of Israel should have known it. And I can't believe that you don't even get what I'm talking about. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, I'll tell you how. He says that if you will bear fruits in keeping with repentance, if you will remain attached to the vine of Christ, then this power can be yours too. He says to all those who believe through the power of Christ, they too can have this faith that not only will you be able to tear down a tree, but you'll also be able to move a mountain in Christ. So we understand something about our relationship with God, that your relationship with God is directly and proportionally related to your obedience to his word. So many people say, well, if God would just answer my prayer, I would believe in him. Well, he'll answer your prayer if you answer his call. 
So often what we seek to do is get in on what God provides rather than to go to the source of the one who is the provider for us. You can imagine this scene. Jesus walking from Bethany into Jerusalem. Maybe he looked out over the Mount of Olives and he said, if you see this mountain, it can be moved. Maybe he looked to the Temple Mount directly in front of him and said, that too can also be moved. But if you have faith, you can simply claim it and it will be moved out of the way. God tells us there is a day coming one day when every mountain will be exalted and every valley shall be made low and the crooked and hills shall be made straight and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. That if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. Now we have to ask those things according to the will of God. We have to constantly measure, am I doing this for my own gratification or am I doing this because I want the Lord to be glorified? But he says, if you are connected to that vine, if you are walking in obedience, if you too are bearing fruit, then God will give you and grant you the keys to his kingdom. He will grant you answers to prayers. And he tells us, until that day come when he makes all things new, until that day come when he wraps everything up, we've got to do what we are created to do. Because Ephesians 2 tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So often we pursue happiness rather than righteousness, and yet God tells us that if you'll pursue righteousness, you'll get happiness, and the happiness doesn't come from yourself, it comes from God. But if you pursue your happiness apart from righteousness, you will get neither. So we have to desire the things that God desires for us. You think about the man who had the talents. He buried what God gave him. He did not bear fruit. Jesus cursed him and condemned him because of that. What about the man who had barns full of plenty and he decided to keep on storing them and never used them? Jesus called him a fool. You think about those who did not offer first fruits, those who did not grant first fruits. But the truth is for us, if we are following in Christ, we are going after His will. I think John MacArthur says this well to do what God says is to do what God wants and to receive what God promises. The Word of God will always come as welcome and warning to you. It will always come bringing peace and a sword. And Jesus will curse that fig tree and say, you are condemned for all of eternity. And then he will turn around and say to those disciples, if you believe in me, you can move mountains. That's the faith that we believe. That's the God that we serve. And what you have to decide is, do you believe in yourself? Do you believe in bearing your own fruit? Do you believe in living your own way? And at the end of the day, coming to judgment and condemnation? Or will you follow Christ, the one who is the true vine? The one who comes from the Father. The one who says, I have come that you might bear much fruit. And when we begin to attach ourselves to the source... To say, God, I am not saved because of these works. I am saved for these good works to honor your name. Then we start to see something happening. Rather than condemning the people who don't think like us and talk like us, we begin to love them. We begin to show compassion for them. And on social media, rather than running them down, maybe we begin to pray for them. With people who constantly and consistently and royally mess up over and over again, 
rather than writing them off, God begins to give us a heart of patience and a heart of thankfulness because he's been patient with us, has he not? He gives us meekness and he reminds us that just as important as what we say is the tone in which we say it. And so Jesus will come as one who is meek and lowly in heart with the spirit of gentleness. He gives us self-control. That is, we're not to be controlled by our money, but to let God be the master of all things. We're not to be people who are unruly in our tempers or in our lust or in our drinking or in our eating or work or anything else, but rather we are to be ruled by the one who gave his all for us. And when you and I as believers start operating out of the branch of Christ and stop operating in our own strength and in our own power, that's where change comes from. That's where people start believing. Because the branch that you're connected to and the branch that I'm connected to goes way beyond us. It means that even if your heart stops beating on this very day, even if you lose everything you have, it goes on. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. And if you will live in light of His coming, you too can bear fruit to the glory of God. And if you ask anything according to His name and in His will, He will hear you. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.